You're listening to Right Where You Are, hosted by New York Times bestselling author, creator, and speaker, Jason Wright. With inspiring guest interviews and Jason's unique lens on life, this is the place to see the good in the world, to lift and be lifted, no matter your starting point, to make a difference that matters. And we'll do it all together, right where you are. Hello again and welcome. This is Jason Wright, and I'm always grateful that you're here at Right Where You Are. I am downright giddy. I'm going to say that, giddy about today's guest. He is a CBS News correspondent based in New York. He's been there more than two decades. He brings viewers moving stories from these unique people that he meets in his weekly award-winning feature segment, On the Road, which airs every Friday on the CBS Evening News and repeats on CBS Sunday Morning. On the Road is modeled after the long-running legendary series of the same name, originally reported by one of America's greatest TV storytellers, of course, the late newsman Charles Corral. He has won dozens of very prestigious journalism awards for his work, too many to mention. Uh, His lengthy bio will be in the show notes, of course, for this episode. I have been a fan of today's guest for a very long time, much longer probably than he even realizes. We met a few years ago when he did a segment on my experience uh, meeting and getting to know a really interesting woman uh, from Ohio who happened to be at a 7-Eleven in my little corner of Virginia. Her name was Anita, and of course, we will link to that story in the show notes as well. It's pretty fun, actually. It pops up every now and again uh, on social media or in my feed, and it's it's really humbling, actually, to see just how many people around the world have resonated with that story and, of course, the way that he told that story. So um, even before that, though, I would say that uh, my guest today is the kind of storyteller that I aspire to be. And I think, actually, he is such a rare blend of someone great at his profession and also just really great at being a human being. He is, of course, Steve Hartman, and I am honored to have him on the podcast today. Welcome, Steve. Thank you so much for having me. I don't do a lot of podcasts, but when you asked, I said, absolutely, because you're actually one of my favorites. So I'm almost almost as giddy as you are. <laughs> well, two, two giddy people. It's, I wish people could see uh, the Zoom that we're using today because I, I'm in a hotel room in Lehigh, Utah, where it's quite early in the morning. You're in a hotel in Florida. So um, it probably looks a little bit odd, but here we are. And I'm grateful that you give me some time. Today, I know that you've got a, a busy schedule and you're heading back home. So you've made this career, unbelievably successful career, telling stories more than sort of reporting as a traditional journalist might. What has drawn you to this particular format and style? Well, this goes back to when I first started in TV journalism in Toledo, Ohio. All the other reporters were competing for the lead news story, the, the murder, the fire, I wanted to be at the end of the show. And I've thought a lot about why that was. I like storytelling since the beginning. I also thought that it would be nicer to go out and tell a story when there's not a bunch of other reporters there, because then you go back to the newsroom and your boss is watching the competition and he says, how come you didn't get this element? You know, how come you didn't do that? I saw it on the competition. If I'm out there covering the Cabbage Patch doll birthday party and nobody else is, (laughs) then my boss doesn't know what the competition is doing. So there was some element to that, but also, you know, I just liked people. I liked, I I, I liked being able to go to the front door of somebody and them welcoming me 
as opposed to saying, oh, gosh, you know, some reporters here. I don't know why more people aren't drawn to it, but uh, this goes back to when I was almost 40 years younger. Mm. That's been a few years. <laughs> yes, it has. <laughs> <laughs> How many of these stories have you produced through the years? If, if you just had to throw a number out there since the, since the first iteration all those years ago and, you know, all the way, we'll, again, we'll link to some of these in the show notes, but the partnership with NASA, where there's an astronaut spinning a globe and you're traveling off to some corner of the world to tell a story. How many total stories like this that are roughly in this two to four minute range? How many of these do you think you've produced for the world? Well, I know there's so many that I can sometimes watch one and I have no recollection of it whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) I won't remember any shots. I won't remember the trip. I won't remember the characters. Uh, We're tens of thousands, probably, if you go back to that first job in Toledo, Ohio. Um, Because back then, you know, sometimes you'd do at least a story a day, sometimes two. Was there one time I did seven? Uh, They weren't, you know, full full packages, but... uh, you know, way more than I can count. Um, and, you know, over the, I, I think, is it Malcolm Gladwell that says you do something 10,000 hours, you become mm-hmm. an expert at it. That's that's how I got where I got, just from doing it over and over and over. And this might be interesting to people. You're not just going out, you know, with a guy shooting footage and then shipping it off to some producer in New York to put together. You actually cut all your own stuff and and deliver a finished product, right? Yeah, I'm a bit of a control freak in that way. I'm the only network correspondent who does that on a regular basis. The way our business works normally is the reporter or in network news, we call them correspondents. They go out and they do the interviews and um, they often may or may not write the story. And then they turn it over to somebody else to edit the story. That means putting all the shots together in a certain sequence, like this goes here and that goes there. The puzzle pieces come together. I want to do the whole thing because these stories are like my babies and I'm not going to hand my child off to some stranger <laughs> to take care of. I'm not going to hand my story off to somebody else to edit. So it's a, it's a, it's a mental uh, disability that I have <laughs> to, do, to do this, but um, it's worked out well. Okay. So thousands and thousands of stories. I know from having, you know, worked a little bit with one of your producers when we did the piece on Anita from Ohio, that you're also looking at thousands and thousands of stories every week that are sent to you, tips or things that maybe come from other people at the network. If you had to guess how many stories you're looking at and maybe diving into a little bit before deciding if you actually want to get on a plane like you are in Florida today travel out and put something together. How many is that? Is it one in five? Is it one in 10? Is that one in a hundred? Well, I don't know how many make it to me because now I have a producer who sort of sorts through websites and local news channels and even major market newspapers looking for the ideal story for that week. That person is looking at, you know, a hundred every week. By the time they get fed to me, I maybe look at five to 10. Mm. Um, and it's very hard to explain to viewers, certainly, even presidents of CBS News who don't quite understand what it takes to make a good feature story. So it just a lot of stuff needs to come into the machine to be able to spit out the one good story at the end of the week. And, and it's one of those things where you know it when you see it. I, I know it when I hear it. Um, I'm always looking for something I've never done before, which is getting increasingly difficult. But uh, that's that appeals to me. But 
if I had to sum it up in just a, you know, a phrase, I'd say, I want a story that will restore people's faith in humanity because the preceding 22 minutes of news has kind of torn that down a little bit. (laughs) So at the end, I feel like we need something to sort of remind us of what America really is, because it's not, it's not the first part of the newscast. That's the, that's the extraordinary, the unbelievable, the thing that's never going to happen again or happens rarely, or the thing that lights your hair on fire. Most of us go through our lives. And as you know, you know, the things we focus on are faith and family and, you know, neighbors, um, but that never makes the news. And and I think I'm there kind of to restore people's faith in humanity, but also just as a reminder that the preceding part of the newscast isn't who we really are. <laughs> so that that's that's kind of the story that wins the day. I love that so much. And having seen, um, I don't think I've seen all however many thousands you've done, but I've seen enough to see your heart really comes out in so many of these pieces. And I'm curious, is there something you talked about sort of early, early in your career wanting to tell stories that no one else in the newsroom is chasing, but does this go back further? Does this go back to, to college, to growing up? Were you raised in a way that your family was kind of teaching you to, to gravitate to kindness? Is there some experience or trigger earlier in your life that sort of drew you to interesting stories that might teach more than just inform? Probably. I don't think my family focused on kindness. It's certainly not the way I teach my kids. I mean, we have an intense focus on kindness in in my family and in my kids. I was not raised with that focus. I was in Boy Scouts and I went to a a school that that where you had to do volunteer work, which I didn't want to do. It was a requirement. I had to volunteer at a what they called a children's home at the time. So it was, it was mentally disabled kids. And, you know, I didn't want to do that, but I think it probably sent a message, you know, deep into my brain that this is something that, you know, a human being should value. I remember the first time that I did anything charitable with my own money. I gave away some money for a scholarship and I didn't want to do that either. I was just trying to get in, I was trying to get the muscle memory because I knew that's kind of what I wanted to be. So I kind of had to force myself to be kind at first. It, it did not necessarily come naturally. I remember, and I don't think that I've ever really told anybody this story before, but there was a time I worked at a jeans store. They sold jeans and corduroys and I stole a pair of pants. And I don't know why I stole the pair of pants, but I did. And I felt guilty about it, of course, but didn't do anything about it until it must have been at least 10 years later, maybe 15. I decided I wanted to clear that off my conscience. I wanted to make that right. And so I uh, wrote a check to the company for the amount that the pants would have cost, interest and then some. And I sent that check off to the company and they cashed it, which kind of surprised me. I didn't think that they would do that, but they did. I didn't get a response letter like, you know, thanks or anything, uh, which I didn't need uh, because that wasn't the point of it. The point of it was to um, to make right something that I had done wrong and to create that muscle memory of doing kindness, of being good, of being a better person. And that can come from doing kind things now, but it can also come from fixing things that weren't kind in your past. Both those are ways to improve and, and, to, and to make yourself a better person. And, and from that day to this, 
you know, I'm constantly trying to be a better person through my work. You know, there's, it's one of those things, two step forward, one step back, but you know, at least I'm moving forward. So Steve, it, it seems to me that your audience is fiercely loyal to you and to your brand. If people, you know, follow you on social media, they'll see that when new content goes up, you have sort of this army of people, I think that believe in what you're doing and why you're doing it. And this might not be an easy question to answer, but why do you think that is? Why do you think that literally millions of people have gravitated and kind of just embraced your work this way? That is the most humbling thing. And you're right. I I cannot explain it. I don't necessarily want to even think about it because I don't know if that's healthy, but it does floor me that a reporter that's on once a week for two minutes would have you know, uh, such a loyal, devoted following that is, I mean, that really they're defenders, they're, um, they're friends, they, uh, they're, I don't know, it's more than just fans. It's something different. I mean, you've read the comments I, and mm-hmm. I don't know what it is other than the fact that m- maybe they feel the need for this restoration of faith in humanity. And they think that this is what America really needs. So anybody who is fighting that good fight you know, is going to get their devotion. But, um, you know, I, Mm. I treasure it. I don't understand it, but I'm so glad they're there and, you know, we're going to keep marching. I mean, they're, they're why you have a career. I mean, and they've, it is fun to watch the comments because you can, you'll see people occasionally refer back to, you know, they'll say, Oh my goodness, I love this. This reminds me of so-and-so from two years ago or five years ago or 10 years ago. And, um, again, we'll we'll link to all of your outlets in the show notes so people can see what we're talking about. But it's they are fiercely loyal. That's I I really do. Yeah, think they'll they'll remember cool. stories I don't remember. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. You've got them out there to rely on as you get older, right? You don't have to worry about your memory. Just lean on your lean on your audience. And they're crucial to the success of this because the 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 back half of the newscast, you know, is easily it's. Uh, you can get rid of that and really often, you know, nobody cares much. That's the first to go, the feature story. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So the fact that they're out there, and believe me, my bosses know that they're out there. They they see the numbers. They know people tune in at the last for the last bit of the Friday night newscast. So the fact that they're there does keep this going. I mean, if they weren't there, if they weren't this loyal, I wouldn't still be doing this job. Yeah, and it's, it's amazing to think that just a, you know, two and a half minute or two minute, whatever the average is piece, even just that they give you that real estate, it, you know, it might not sound like much, but I mean, how long is a broadcast? 20 something minutes every night for you to get that real estate is actually a, it's a pretty big deal in today's world. Yeah, it is. And there are others, other correspondents at CBS who don't quite understand why Steve Hartman gets a full two and a half minutes and every other end story is down, cut down to a minute or a minute and a half. But you know, and I try to earn it every week. I, mm-hmm. I try to, if they're going to give me two and a half minutes to tell a story, I need to earn it every second of that two and a half minutes. So, and it's, this is one, you're only as good as your last story. I'm sure you've probably heard that before, mm-hmm. but in our business, you know, all that matters is what you did yesterday. Even after 40 years. Yeah. That's still yes. all that matters. Yes. What did you learn? Obviously your, your ability to travel and produce and and craft these these pieces that impact so many people. That was significantly curtailed, we'll say, over the last 15 months of this pandemic. 
that must have been tough. I know that you love people. I know that you love being out in the world, meeting people, whether it's for your job or not. Was that hard? And how have you adjusted? Did you learn anything about about your craft or you know this gift of storytelling during the pandemic? What was that like for someone like you? Well, there was a bit of panic at the beginning because the segment is called On the Road and I'm stuck in my office. You know, that's not quite as catchy of a title, you know, in the <laughs> office with Steve Hartman. So how do you begin to continue to do your work? The first thing I did was I, I accessed the, the characters that I had access to. That would be my family. You know, I started doing stories on my kids in the beginning. In fact, I gathered them together and we did some... Uh, classes called Kindness 101, where we took some of the stories from the archives, grouped them together around themes like um, integrity and fortitude, and uh, did classes for kids who were stuck at home. It ended up being that there were far more 80-year-olds watching than (laughs) eight-year-olds because adults were drawn to these classes almost in greater numbers than the kids were. But uh, we did that at first, and then we discovered Zoom. And you make the most of, of your situation. Every, every week, the story never goes quite as you planned. You know, the, you miss an element that you want to get or the interview doesn't go quite the way you wanted it or somebody's not available. So you're constantly making compromise and doing the most with what you have. So throughout the pandemic, you know, I was always just making the most of what I had. We were still able to keep the segment going. Um, I was surprised, you know, that we really were able to tell some decent stories. Eventually, we had local crews go shoot some of the video in the area, and I just did the interview over Zoom, and that worked well. But I'm glad to see it come to an end. I do not like airports. I don't like travel. Uh, That's the one thing that I wish I didn't have to do. But once I'm there, it's so much better to be face-to-face with somebody. It's a little bit hard to do it over Zoom because the the signal's always crapping out and, you know, you can't really, you know, being in the same space with somebody is just a different vibe and you pick up on things you would never pick up on over the computer. Absolutely. Absolutely. So speaking of, you know, some of those people, as you think back and talk about tough questions, this is, this has got to be brutal because you've done so many and, and met so many interesting people. But if you had to just pick a few, a few pieces, a few people, that you've just really connected with over the years, who would they be? Share a couple with us, if you would mind. Well, there are a few people that I've done stories on, and I'll write to them later, and the the notes always end, love Steve, um, Mm. that I don't have a problem saying I love you. Those people would include um, Tiffany Eckert, who was Miles Eckert's mother, That's a story I did about a little boy who found a $20 bill in a Cracker Barrel parking lot, and he was thinking of buying a toy with it, and then he saw a soldier walk in the door, and he gave it to the soldier and wanted to pay it forward because his dad had died um, Mm. in the military. I've stayed close with them, and um, and I I love Tiffany, and I love her family. Uh, The story of Nora and Dan, that's the little girl who saw an elderly gentleman in a Publix grocery store and said, hi, old person, it's my birthday. And she demanded a hug, not knowing that the old person had just lost his wife and was um, in need of a friend. They became very close and saw each other at least once a week until Dan, the elderly gentleman, passed away. Um, 
that's, you know, uh, will be one of my favorites forever, no matter how many stories I tell. Um, I did a lot of stories on my dad for a while. CBS was sending me and my dad on vacation <laughs> and go, go, do, go report what it's like to be on vacation with your dad. I mean, what, that's, that's a pretty good gig. Um, I love those stories. Um, we did the, everybody has a story project where we threw a dart at a map of America. This went on for seven years. I was on Oprah and Letterman. We did not pick our subjects, uh, the subjects, the fate picked our subjects, but when I look back at it, it was an extremely life-changing seven years of my life because it just changed my outlook and how I approach storytelling. So those those are some of my those are some of my fondest children. I said these are my these stories are my children. Those are those are my favorites. And you know, at that times you have favorite children, right? Who's your favorite child today of your kids? <laughs> uh, my favorite child is my. Well, my actual child would be my oldest because she's got two babies now. So I have, I'm, okay. I'm a grandfather. So for sure, she's my favorite. I hope she's listening. And she's probably the only one of my four that actually listens to the podcast. So, so you, you can feel safe saying that, right? That's right. The other three right. aren't listening. It is funny, though, <laughs> there that are you say that. probably days when the other three are your favorite, absolutely. right? Absolutely. Mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but I, I have had some of those experiences where I, some of the pieces I've written were people that I met on a train or on a plane or in a restaurant. And you just, you don't even see the story coming. You don't necessarily even see the friendship coming. And, and yeah, by the, by the time you get off the plane or off the train or whatever it is, you realize that you've really connected with somebody and that, that they have a story that the world needs to hear. So yeah, I've, I've had, I've had some of those through the years. I can, well, I, could, I think we could say the same thing about you and me. I mean, we, you were just a subject in one of my stories, but there was a bond there and, you know, I wanted to continue it and you wanted to continue it. And, you know, I don't think I've ever told you, I love you and I'm not going to today either, but <laughs> <laughs> I could see the day coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, a guy can dream, Steve, a guy can dream. <laughs> Well, I, uh, yeah, I, I appreciate that. And I, I know I've told you before that part of the draw for me is, well, there are two. One is, as I said at the top, your, your heart is just so good. And we've talked before that it's, it's not about religion. It's not about faith. It's not about God. You know where sort of I stand on that. But that's not, that's not what's sort of important, I think, in at least in this friendship and certainly in your career. It's just... It's just goodness. It's just being kind for the sake of changing the world through kindness, not not because of a faith or where you go to church on the weekend, but just this is the right thing to do is to see people, to see everyone that you come in contact with every day, like they matter because they do. And that's what I love about you and your gift of storytelling is that every single person that you meet, whether you produce a story on them or not, you recognize that this person has value in the world. They matter to me. They matter to other people. And and so they deserve to be treated no matter what they look like or what they believe or how they live their lives. They deserve to be treated with great respect. So, And you're just crazy talented. And I'm drawn to people who are talented that I can learn a little bit from. So thank you. Thank you. So all of my guests get these last two questions and I I love asking them and I love the answers and they're always so unique and and different. The name of the podcast, as you know, is Right Where You Are. And I, I say every week, this name came from my daughter, J.D., after many, many weeks and months even of counseling as a family and even with some of 
you know, my, my readers and friends and fans on social media about what we might call this thing. My daughter, JD landed at that name, right? Where you are. What, what does that mean to you? And of course there's no wrong answer here, but what might that phrase mean to you through the lens of Steve Hartman? When I think of right where you are, and I actually think about that phrase quite often as I get older, because I've spent so much of my life climbing the ladder and trying to get to the next job and looking forward to the next thing. And the older you get, you know, there are fewer next things ahead of you. And I'm making a concerted effort, you know, every day now to enjoy the moment. When I think of right where you are, I think of enjoying the moment and not focusing on like the vacation that's going to be coming up in two weeks or whatever supposedly better thing is around the corner. My right where you are is enjoying my time with you right now as best I can and not worrying about or even looking forward to what's coming next because, you know, time, time gets shorter, the older you get, it's just the way it works. So that's why Mm. I'm enjoying my time right where I am. Mm, I love that. I love that. So years from now, you know, long after this discussion this morning becomes just a, a memory for folks, even for you and I, what is the one thing, what is the one thing that you want people to remember about you, about your career, about all of this beautiful and inspiring content that you've produced, about you know your role as a, as a husband and a father? What is the one thing you most want people to remember? That... He was able to do all this stuff, but in the end, the best thing he ever did was raising his children. I think that would be the most important thing that people to remember about me. Cause I really don't think, you know, I don't really like looking at old stories that are kind of shot in a four by three format. They're like looking at old books that people have written because it just seems like a bygone era. But I like looking at children growing up because that's the only thing that doesn't stale. And mm. that's the only thing that's gonna feel fresh the work I did as a parent years from now. Hmm. Well, that's pretty remarkable for someone who's accomplished what you have, um, you know, won the awards that you have, climbed the ladder, as you said earlier, um, as you have. That's, And I think that probably is why I just, I connect so well with you and your brand, and you probably hate that word, but you do have one, is probably everyone listening right now and everyone that watches your content every week they would probably answer that question the same way about you. I don't think this is a fan speaking. I don't think any of that stuff would matter to Steve. What would matter most is how's his family? Who are they growing into? Do they love people? Do they treat strangers with kindness? Are they service oriented? You know, what are their hearts like? I think that's, um, I think that's how your audience will remember you as well. Well, I am so thankful for the time today. I know that you're busy. I say often, I don't take time for granted, it's such a gift. So thank you for gifting uh, me and my listeners today some of your time. You are a very good man. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a joy. Thank you for joining us on Right Where You Are. For more information about Jason and his projects, visit him online at jasonfright.com or on social media at facebook.com slash jfwbooks or on Instagram at jasonfright. And be sure to subscribe to Right Where You Are, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. This has been a production of Right Media Productions. Copyright 2021 by Jason F. Wright. All rights reserved.